Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today we're going to talk about age play, but before I get to the topic today, I wanted to remind you guys that if there's a topic that you're interested, please take a moment and let me know. There's different ways that you can let me know. I'm doing this survey that uh, you can find the link in the show notes that has multiple questions, uh, not too long. It will take about five minutes. And you can let me know there that what, what are some of the topics you're interested in. And the other way would be you can write us an honest review on iTunes and let me know there, or you can shoot me an email because this is a show for you. And I want to make sure I'm talking about something that things and topics that are interesting to you will help you to have an awesome sex life that you want. Speaking of uh, your request, today we're going to talk about age play. And this is something that a few of you guys emailed me and you wanted to know more about it. I'm kind of curious about what comes to your mind uh, when you think age play. How much do you guys know about these kinds of sexual activities? And I know at times it's not only sexual. So one of the funny stories that I heard from my husband, he was sharing with me that one of his relatives came to U.S. and they took the person to Vegas and they went to this tacky hotel and someone next door was like they could hear spanking and someone saying who's your daddy followed by after a few moments uh, moaning and my husband was like laughing because he told me the relative they took to Vegas with them said oh my god 
someone's having sex with their father. What's going on? And the person was panicking and didn't know that they, these were like two consenting adults <laughs> engaging in role play. I thought that was very funny. But most people, although they know about this sexual role play of teen girls and their father, like a father fantasy, but I don't know how many people know about adults that they're wearing children clothing or a toddler's clothing or fetishes around diapers. So I want to answer all of those questions today in our conversation with Dr. Uh, Rhoda Lipscomb. Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb has been counseling individuals and couples in the areas of human sexuality for over 25 years. She received her PhD in clinical sexology from the American Academy of Clinical Sexologists in Orlando, Florida. She's an ASAC certified sex therapist in private practice, specializing in the alternative sexuality communities, such as open relationship, ABDL, GLBT, BDSM, kink and fetishes. She wrote her doctoral dissertation on the mental health experience of ABDL individuals, specializes in therapy for this community, and speaks on the subjects to help promote better understanding for individuals and their families. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It is my honor to have Dr. Rhoda Lipscomb on our show today. Rhoda, is that okay if I call you Rhoda? Yes, it is. Thank you. I am very excited about this conversation because although I practice sex therapy, this is not something that I see often. And I know working with adult baby diaper lovers, is that ABDL? That's how we call them. It's one of your areas of a specialty. So tell us about what does adult age play entail? Well, I mean, adult age play is actually a, a very wide range. So it it can be many different things depending on the people. It can be more of the, it it kind of runs on a continuum. So it can be the um, more of the adult baby side, which tends to be people who feel like they have a little persona. And usually there's a specific age for that. Um, You know, their, their little side could be two or four some people will have a, a younger side that is what they call a middle, which is more like that sort of six to 10 range. Um, and you even have like adult teens, people who have a teen age, uh, younger side, all the way over to the diaper lover side, which people that that's tends to be the more sort of fetishistic. Um, the diaper is very much the fetish item and, and not so much the, the little young side for the people who are the diaper lovers. Um, And you tend to hear more about the adult baby side. I think that tends to get more news. It tends to get more um, sensationalized. Uh, You see that more where the the diaper lovers, I think oftentimes are, even though there's a larger number of them, according to the research, 
I think they're more private because it isn't it isn't like they have as big a communities to join and and do parties like the like the adult babies or the littles or middles do. This is fascinating. And just to be clear with our listeners, yes, these are adults, consensual adults role playing. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so Absolutely. we're not talking about people having sex with children, which ob- it is obvious to me and you, but I wanted to emphasize that. Thank you for that. Because I mean, that is a big thing that people within that community fear that that people think that they're pedophiles or that they're actually trying to have sex with children. And that could not be farther from the truth. But that's often the thing that gets, they get accused of when people find out. And that's absolutely not what this is. You know, I'm kind of curious about the diaper lover side of it. Is it something that like they wear the diaper and they masturbate or it is part of their kind of partner sex template? Um, It can really be either. I mean, I think for probably a large majority of people, it tends to be more for solo sex play, partly because there's so much shame and embarrassment and fear about how a partner will respond to it. Uh, Maybe they've had bad experiences in the past. If they've even ever told anyone about this, oftentimes I find myself when they come to see me, literally being the first human that they have told this to. And so there's huge amounts of of shame and fear and embarrassment about it. Um, Some people do have partners that they will engage with, uh, sexually with the diapers, um, and it is part of sex play for them. On both sides of both the adult babies and the diaper lovers, you have a percentage of people more on the adult baby side than on the diaper lover side, but I have seen it on the diaper lover side as well to where it's not really a sexualized issue at all. It's more about the diapers being a type of nurturing, soothing, anxiety or stress relieving type of item. Right. And that that makes sense. I was doing some reading on that and I was thinking like similar to other coping mechanism, you know, when people are like holding on to the object as a transitional object for them or imagining their safe place and helps them to cope. If there's something they can do as kind of tangible as wearing a diaper and reduces with their stress, that absolutely makes sense. Right. I mean, in a lot of ways, if you've you've ever dealt with any cross-dressers, you know, heterosexual men who like to wear different items of women's clothing, a lot of times for them, it can start off as a very sexualized thing, usually early in their life, like their teens or early 20s. And as they age, oftentimes it becomes more of a um, anxiety-reducing, stress-reducing type of, like you said, coping mechanism. And, and really becomes much, much less sexualized for them. And I can imagine with kind of shame pump component of it, as you were talking about it, oh, I was yeah. thinking it can be it definitely very hard. I know my clients that there are when I kind of even talk about the, some fetishes that they want to introduce to the relationship that's not even as kind of shameful for the person as as what we're talking about, still their, the partner can react really negatively and that can be very traumatizing. Absolutely. And, and how the partner reacts really is important 
um, to how the person can deal with it um, in a positive way. And, and oftentimes I, I help people to find ways to talk to their partners, or sometimes I'll even do sessions with the partners as well to help them understand it and wrap their head around it um, and figure out what they're really comfortable with as far as engagement. Um, because some partners are, are very comfortable and, and can really kind of jump in full, full bore and others have a lot more limits that they're, they're comfortable with some parts but not other parts. And so it, it really varies dramatically. When you're working with clients, do you feel with the adult baby side, it's harder usually for the partner to be receptive or the diaper loving side? That's a good question. I think they both have different types of reactions. For a lot of people, you know, traditionally, most of the people who are into the adult babies or diaper lovers tend to be male, though there are a a fairly large percentage of women who also um, are involved with it. But a lot of times for men whose female partner is struggling with it. I mean, sometimes they're struggling with it as, particularly if they already have children together, it's kind of like, oh, great, one more child I need to take care of. You know? <laughs> Makes you know? sense. Yeah. And, and sometimes I have to help them understand that by giving him this aspect, it really can help bolster the adult side so that really she can get more of the adult partner that she wants by being able to feed the little side and, and to give him a better balance. So for our uh, listeners that this is the first time they're hearing about that, tell us how would that look like the adult baby kind of side of it? Is it that like, you know, these are adults that are wearing the uh, clothing of children? What are some of the different variations you see as far as how they present sexually? It, it can be a pretty broad range. Um, sometimes you'll have some people where, again, particularly if it's more about the anxiety reduction and not the sexualized side, they won't even bring it into their sexual lives at all. Um, because for them, when they're, particularly for the ones who regress, and, and which is different than role-playing, role-playing, you're really kind of playing a role. As, as the term sounds, where regression is more that you actually feel like you're becoming that age. Uh, and so for those people, it's, it would be very counterintuitive to be sexual with their partner when they regress down to being two or three years old. Um, and they're looking at their partner as this caregiver. Um, and so then sex is, for them, it's a very adult behavior that they only want to do when they're in their adult mindset. Others find that there are sexualized ways that even when they're in their little old mindset, that they still want to engage in with their partner. Um, but they might have a very different sex life when they're in their adult mind. So it really runs the gamut from, from one end to the other. Some will want to use a lot of their baby items with their partners, actually, such as the diapers or wearing a onesie. Others really don't. So it, it just varies so broadly that I always tell people, it's like, you've got to really talk to your partner and communicate about what is it that they need, because what you might see on the internet 
could be very different from what your specific partner needs. Um, and they may or may not overlap. And that's interesting that you're sharing with us that, you know, for some people, it's kind of a lifestyle. Some, for some people, it's a coping mechanism. And for some others, it seems like it's just a role play that they're kind of like incorporate to their toolbox of like the sexual behaviors that they want to engage in. Yes. And, and it really varies on how often people need to engage in it. I mean, there, you do have some for, like you said, who is very much a lifestyle and it's a daily thing. Other people, maybe a few times a month is really all they need. And usually when I start working with someone, particularly if, it, if they're fairly new to kind of opening up about it, because most people will have been spending so much of their lives trying to repress these feelings that I often have them switch to, once we can get them to do it with their partners openly, for a, while, for a period of time that they do it very often, maybe even daily, to find where their middle ground is. Because when you've been spending all of your time repressing, you, you don't know what a really good middle ground is because you've never allowed yourself to just do it so openly. So by having that chance to do it all the time, you then get to figure out when, when does the person have a day where they just go, yeah, you know, I really, I don't need this. I'm good. I, I'm comfortable. Um, I really want to deal with some of my adult things that I like to do. So that it's, it's helping them to find that middle ground and where it truly is, not where they're trying to force it to be. And I like that because it's very similar to what the work I do with eating disorder clients. Part of my practice also working with eating disorder clients. Okay. So when people are restricting, we talk about, okay, now do the intuitive eating, allow yourself to enjoy the foods that you've been right. um, kind of restricting. And they say, oh, what if you can't stop? And then when we stop the restriction for a period of time, people might, you might see a spike on the eating specific food like amount of food that they were kind of like not engaging and not eating in the past. But then after a while, things get balanced out. So it seems like it's kind of similar to what you're sharing with us. Exactly. It's very similar to that. It's, it's finding where the balance is and it's different for everyone. And I love that you're working with couples because I can only imagine how terrifying it must have been for some partners if, if they were clueless about it. And kind of about their partner engaging in this behavior. And at times, if the partner feeling shame around this behavior, it can be very delicate to kind of have these conversations. Yes, it is very delicate because oftentimes the partner finds out by finding different things. They find items around the house like diapers or pacifiers. They might find uh, websites that their partner is looking at. And so then partners get accused of many things. They'll get accused of sex addiction, which, you know, then I have to re-educate them about, like, that that isn't really a real thing because so many people think it is. And it's like, there's a difference between compulsive sexual behavior and what the general public thinks is sex addiction. And or again, like you mentioned earlier, the pedophilia, they're like, oh my God, do I need to keep you away from our kids? And 
so there's a lot of confusion then about what it is and what it isn't. And so often it's sort of calming them to, to help them figure out what it is, where it fits into their life, the benefits of it for their partner and, and all of that. And I think meanwhile, at times, I'm sure many people who are engaging in this behavior, they are themselves trying to figure out oh, what kind of a category they're fitting in. Is that something that they need every time during kind of sexual play or is that something for coping mechanism? So it's important, it seems like, for people to have some kind of understanding of their uh, where they are in the spectrum themselves to share it with the partner. Sure. Yeah. And to help, you know, the little bit of information that's out there to help them understand what really applies to them and what doesn't and how they can fit that into their lives. Now that now that once that everybody's aware of it, now how do we how do we work it out in a day to day kind of thing? So I guess the next thought that came to my mind was then if you're an adult that, you know, this is something that you're into and you're dating someone, when would be a good time to bring it up? It's often difficult. I always recommend that people try to talk about it, not necessarily on the first date, but sometime before you're thinking you want to marry this person. You know, somewhere in that time where you feel that there's a, a strong enough connection that you care about each other, that the other person's not just going to immediately run away because, oh, this, this is way too scary, this is way too much. They need to be invested in the relationship enough that they're willing to sit there and listen and try to wrap their head around it, uh, but maybe not quite to the point to where you've already been married for several years and now you're bringing this up and, and the person feels a bit betrayed and, and maybe tricked that, why didn't you tell me this before we got married? And I, I tend to see a lot of that where, where it doesn't come out until people have already been married for several years and, and now they're having to try and explain it. And there's a lot of emotional upheaval that's going on in the relationship at that point. Right. And I think, you know, the emotional safety, as you were talking about it, it's very important because I would imagine if you're dating someone and, for example, if you've been sexting and you're exchanging nude picture, that's one thing if it goes online. And your coworker saying it. I mean, right. that's embarrassing, but it wouldn't be as a kind of stigma attached to it if you're wearing a adult baby kind of an outfit and your coworkers are seeing it. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's also what I often try to talk to the partners about is to help them to empathize with their partner about how terrifying it has to be for them to try to share this with them when they're so fearful of being rejected by this person that they love and care about that help them understand why the person has waited so long uh, because for them, the stakes are so high. Of course. Yeah. And I think how courageous it is, if that's something that you're voluntarily sharing with someone that you're not sure if they are uh, into it or not, and you're already emotionally invested in the relationship. Right. And and often a lot of times people have a hard time even trying to figure out how to explain it to someone. You know, sometimes I've had to work with people about let's talk about how we're going to explain this. How are you going to figure out how to because they, they barely understand it themselves sometimes. 
And then so to explain it to a partner who's confused and possibly rejecting is terrifying for them and overwhelming. Of course. And yes. And again, the trust piece, it seems like it's very important that can assess how trustworthy is the person. So it seems like you're helping usually people to kind of navigate that piece as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one, one other way that I, I feel like people kind of, when they think about adult age play, what comes to many of my friends thought, because I, I was having this conversation about, okay, what, what are some of the questions that you guys have about this topic? And they were telling me that in their mind, it was, you know, how the role play of like, you know, who's your daddy and being a naughty girl and getting spanked. Is that part of that or that's completely something different? Um, it, it certainly is part of age play technically. Often does, you know, that's where you tend to see more women involved uh, who get more involved where it is that kind of sexualized sort of little girl, teenage girl type of role play. Often that kind of bleeds into the BDSM world um, or the kink world. Do they, you know, it does definitely overlap with the, with the general ABDL world, but in a way it's, a, it's slightly different um, because usually those people are not necessarily wearing diapers. If they're dressing up, they're kind of dressing up in little girl clothes and, and it tends to also be much more sexualized. Right. Versus the coping piece that you're talking about. Right. And also, so it seems to me that from what I'm hearing, BDSM could be kind of a kink behaviors can be part of it, but it's not necessarily a part of ABDL. It's not necessarily a part of it, but often you do see people who cross over into both worlds. I mean, a lot of the ABDL people like some of the BDSM aspects, the, the being punished. Some of them even like the bondage aspect so that they, they definitely do cross over. And I guess one other important thought that I think it's important for me, at least to understand that is like as a therapist, I'm kind of curious when people usually notice that they, they have these desires, that they want to, that this is something that they want to experiment with. Where's, where do you think some of your clients kind of like first notice that this is something arousing to me? Well, most, the studies have shown that most people, there tend to be two specific age ranges where the majority of people fall into. There's either that post potty training age of like three to six or the pre-puberty age of about 10 to 12. And most people that I've talked to and, and everything that I've read from research shows that most people tend to fall in those two age ranges. The exception tends to be the women who are kind of more like you were talking about with the, um, the little girl, daddy. Oftentimes, they're over the age of 20 before that starts to become appealing to them because it gets, it gets introduced to them by um, a sexual partner as as part of sex play. And so that type tends to be later. But the more true kind of ABDL um, feelings starts at pretty young ages. I mean, I've talked with many people who have noticed these, eight, these desires shortly after potty training, 
and they're trying to, they're either stealing diapers and trying to fit into them, or they're trying to create diapers out of things they can come up with, newspapers, towels, uh, whatever they can do to, to like make a diaper. And their their memories of like four or five, six years old. These are very interesting. So, and then I, I would assume that this is like when later on they're trying to recreate those, they are kind of, there are specific scenario that are more attractive to them or like, like sim- similar to the rest of us with kind of erotic template or just an idea of being that specific age that's kind of attractive to them. Sometimes it's a little of all of that. I mean, they can have an erotic template to it that at that young of an age, they don't even necessarily recognize what that is. Mm-hmm. They just know it feels good. There's this drive to it. Um, often they'll have fantasies of a neighbor woman or somebody kind of being that mother role to them. And they have these feelings that they don't understand that later in life they recognize as being more sort of sexualized feelings. But when they're that age, they don't quite know what it is. And, and sometimes it is more of that just, it just feels good. It feels nurturing. It, it's, and if you think about it, I mean, oftentimes in our society, men, particularly you know, like young boys at a certain age, as a society, we kind of stop touching boys. And I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that that's necessarily related to this, but there could be some sort of aspect for some people that they do feel very touch-deprived and, and they're feeling this lack of nurturing mm-hmm. that could come with that. The problem is we don't really know what causes it. Uh, you know, there's many theories, and for different people, it could be different. Um, there doesn't seem to be a trauma aspect as I've seen many people who report that you know their childhoods were very happy and healthy and they still development. Um, other people who do have trauma aspects in their childhood and develop it. But yet you see many, as I'm sure as you know, as a therapist, you see many people who have trauma in their childhoods and yet don't develop it. So there's really not enough evidence to show that trauma has any type of correlation to it. Sure. I know the same for like, you know, when people have painful intercourse, they're thinking automatically some subtype type of population. Oh my God, it's related to sexual trauma. But again, similar to this, so we don't have like evidence showing that every woman has like painful intercourse had a history of trauma. So it seems like there's so many unknown things playing into it. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious about, okay, so when people realize this is the attraction I have, if you have listeners that they want to kind of kind of entertain the idea, uh, what are some of the easier way that they can kind of like test it and say if it is like, I guess, low risk way of testing it and to see if this is a good fit for them or not? Probably if, if you have listeners who are wondering about it, and, and they're thinking about testing it, if they're already adults, they probably have already had these feelings for a very long time, unless they're more of sort of like the daddy little girl that sounds appealing and that, you know, that's kind of a different area. And they certainly could do some, you know, searches on some of the kink and BDSM websites for some of this sort of daddy little girl stuff that they could try. Those who are are more really part of the ABDL community, you know, there are certainly a lot of websites um, devoted to that, devoted to 
diapers and, and clothing that are created for adult bodies. It's, it's, it's not like this is just a small number of people. I mean, it's um, hundreds of thousands, if not in the low millions of people. So there are certainly plenty of websites to look for um, that talk about it, that have blogs and other postings for people that they can feel like are, are like them. Larger cities, you're probably going to find meetup groups, for age play groups. Um, there are conventions, conventions like CapCon in Chicago or TeddyCon in Pennsylvania, um, or the new one, uh, the West Coast Jungle Gym that started this year in San Diego. Um, those are great places to go to meet other like-minded people um, and have that kind of safe space for a few days. I love that. So it seems like there are places that can people go, uh, they can go and kind of be around the people with the same kind of interests and Absolutely. kind of like try different kind of things and see if this is this is a thing that for them or not. But I guess from what yeah. I'm hearing, also it's most of the adults, which I hope all my listeners are adults, <laughs> if they are attracted to this kind of place, they probably have some inclination already. Yeah, they probably already know. Now, whether or not they're, they've gotten the courage to be open about it, whether they've gotten the courage to talk to anyone about it, you know, that, that sometimes is the difference because this is still a large number of people who hide this um, and haven't had the courage to talk about it, to tell anyone about it. Um, and it's, it can be very secretive still for a lot of people. And on that note, I know that that you're an expert in this area. And I bet uh, some of my clients want to know how can they get a hold of your information about your practice. And I know in your website, you have some good resources as well. So tell us a little bit about those things. Sure, sure. Um, and I, I do work with people even from around the country through like video conferencing. So it doesn't, people don't necessarily have to be come into my physical office. Um, I do see a lot of people through video conferencing. And so if people have questions, they can certainly send me an email. Um, my email address is Rhoda, R-H-O-D-A, at drrhoda.com. So drrhoda.com. I actually have two websites. I have my um, drrhoda.com website and then my more therapy website, which is Talk About Sex Therapy. Um, and I published a book last year for, it, it's not specifically um, ABDL oriented, but it does deal with um, alternative sexuality and how to, you know, get past the shame and the fears and uh, the embarrassment and all of that. Um, so it does definitely relate for people in that, in that community as well. It's called No More Hiding Permission to Love Your Sexual Self. Um, it is available on Amazon, and if people have questions, I, I hope they'll email me or um, check out my website. I, you know, I I do speak often not only to like groups at like TeddyCon, the conferences, but I also talk to a lot of therapists, trying to help educate them so that when people do seek out therapy, hopefully there are more and more therapists who are educated about this and at least know a little bit because most of us learn very little about it and it, it can be very confusing to a lot of therapists. 
As always, I make sure, guys, that I put the link to the show notes. So uh, if you guys didn't get a chance to write down the name of the book and website, you can find it in the show notes. Dr. Rhoda, thank you so much for all this great information and your time. I'm sure our listeners really benefited from your advice and knowledge and all the expertise that you uh, shared with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I so appreciate it. I hope my conversation with Dr. Lipscomb helped you to develop a better understanding of what's going on with ABDL communities and kind of a little bit more insight about what are some of the reasons that people are engaged in these behaviors. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, the more I learn about kind of psychological components related to each of different sexual expression, human sexual expression, the less kind of uh, scary and odd and eccentric it appears to me. I know before I started uh, learning about various sexual expression, especially, especially alternative sexuality material, before I became a sex therapist, I was always kind of like, little bit of this kind of judgment about what's going on with people, why are they doing this and why they're into that. But, you know, the more we learn about this thing, it opens our eyes and, okay, if this is working for two consenting adults, they're enjoying it, what's wrong with that, right? It's like I always, all of my analogies are related to food, as you know, since I work with eating disorders. So, for example, if I'm not, if I don't love, I don't know, like Polish food, right? It doesn't mean the Polish food is bad. It means that I don't have taste palate for that. So oftentimes I can see kind of the same thing with alternative sexual behaviors that, okay, maybe this is not part of my erotic template, but I can totally see that it's, this is something that's working for people and there's nothing wrong with it. Anyhow, please don't forget to take the survey and I'll chat with you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.